0: Thank you for joining me today on the Bon Voyage Language Experience Podcast. I am Elizabeth Porter and I am your language lady and I am so excited to talk to you about language today. I'm actually so excited to talk to you about language every day, but especially today because I have some really cool things to share with you. Um, The first thing that I wanted to talk about today was yesterday I was listening to NPR. I always listen to NPR in the mornings when I'm taking my sons to school. I listen to the 1A. And they were having a really interesting discussion yesterday on Yiddish. And those of you who don't know about Yiddish, Yiddish is, you know, I always think about Seinfeld when I think of yiddish, you know, it's they did that whole entire episode on yada 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 which comes from yiddish. Or for example, if you call someone a schmuck, that's yiddish or the word glitch or kabosh, like I put the kabosh on that, that would be uh the, all those words were from yiddish and it's really interesting how Yiddish has really made its way into everyday language in the United States and into the American English. And they were talking about it's become so much a part of our language that they were actually having a discussion about how uh, some people call it Yinglish which is really interesting. So they were talking about um, the the history of Yiddish and the 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 reason why Yiddish is such a huge part of our language and the different places that Yiddish is spoken. And there's just so many things I didn't um, I didn't know about it. And so um, I always thought, you know, it was kind of a. a, a A derivative or a a dialect of Hebrew. Well, in fact, Hebrew is a Semitic language, whereas Yiddish is a Germanic language. So they don't even share even the really the same linguistic history, which is really interesting. But what's even more interesting, and I, I always say that language is a way to that we connect with each other as, as, as humans, you know, it's, it's a, it's human connection and it's the way that we connect with uh, the world around us as well. So the way that we, we, we connect with the world around us and other humans is, is my specific definition of it. But what was fascinating in part of this discussion was that a lot of the guests and a lot of the people who were calling in or writing in to make comments Was that Yiddish in their families was actually used by the mother or the grandmother specifically to exclude the children from the conversation? So they would start speaking Yiddish so that the children would not understand and they would leave the room or not be included in the conversation. And I had never thought, this is so fascinating to me. I had never thought about the use of a language to exclude rather than include. It's so, I mean, it's like a light bulb went off in my head and I started thinking about all The times when I had witnessed exclusion due to language instead of inclusion. And the host, Todd Zwillick, had interviewed his mom um, and was having a conversation with her about the, the show, the episode. And his mom had said she when she heard her grandmother and her mother starting to speak Yiddish to each other. She knew that was a key to her, like a cultural clue that she needed to leave the room and she was not allowed to participate in that conversation. And what she said after that was really interesting to me. She said she regrets not staying and listening because she feels like she missed an opportunity to learn another language. And this goes back to just listening, right? We can get a lot from just listening and, you know, looking for uh, contextual clues to see what people are talking about. And so I started thinking about other ways in which we use language to exclude or in which people feel excluded due to language rather than included. And I come to a time when I was um I have a I have a friend from South Africa and she's English speaking South African but she also speaks Afrikaans. And our sons were playing she has an older son and a younger son and I'm sorry friend if you know who that I'm talking about you I'm sorry but this was a perfect example of this so I had to share it. Um and she has a she has an older son than she has a son. My my her younger son is the same age as my oldest son. And her older son had friends over, and then my my son was over playing with her son, and then um, and the older son wanted to go to the park. But he didn't want his younger brother and my son to go with him. And so they switched into Afrikaans in order to exclude the younger son from the conversation, the younger brother from the conversation. So he could say, look, mom, I want to go to the park, and I don't want little brother to follow me to the park. And so they were able to, you know, kind of get under the radar to communicate with each other without, without allowing for um, the other child to, to participate in the conversation. So that, that was the first example I thought of this. And then I thought of another example where, um, you know, we'd had an exchange student several years ago and, um, I was with my friends and the exchange student was with us and, you know, this, she was on an immersion program. So uh, in my opinion, I think she, she was not trying nearly hard enough to participate in the conversation. She spoke very good English, but she kept getting mad because we weren't translating for her or speaking to her in her language. We were speaking in our language, which she felt excluded in that, in that case. Um, And we weren't specifically trying to exclude her. Um, We were just, uh, we were just, you know, out and we were speaking the language that we speak. And, and like I said, in that case, she was in an immersion situation. She should have been making a little more effort to to be patient with herself. And um, But I was a teenager at the time. Um, another example of this would be um, my 11-year-old son, he is in fifth grade and going into middle school. And that's the age where students start to use kind of naughty language, right? Kids start to want to use naughty language. And I told him that he's not allowed to use naughty language unless it's in French, (laughs) because nobody else will understand what that means. So there are situations where Language is used to exclude, to not connect with certain people, right? We're always connecting when we're using language, but, you know, maybe we don't want people to understand another person to understand what we're saying or be in the conversation. Um, and so we use language uh, in order to to exclude. So what I want to know from you is, When have you encountered this in your experience in your life? Have you ever used language to exclude someone or to speak to someone when you don't want someone else to understand what you're saying? Or have you ever been in a situation where you were excluded yourself by language? And if you were, what happened and how did you feel? I'm really this. This is really curious to me, and I would really love to hear your stories. So you can go on to our website and um, you can share your stories with us. If you go to our website and you click on uh, go to www dot b v w com. that's b as in boy v is in victor w la.com and you click on listen to our podcast you will be able to find on the podcast site where you can share your experiences um with us i i'm really i'm really honestly very curious to to hear about um, about any experiences that anyone has had with this. It's really, really interesting. Um, one other point that was made, not, not necessarily um, on the same topic because they had changed topics by this time, but not not um, on a different topic. Uh, one of the experts there, he said that they, they were talking about how um, even people, I mean, Yiddish is typically uh associated with jewish uh people um people of the jewish jewish faith and jewish culture and all of that and one of the things that um the one of the callers in had said was she was an african american woman who grew up in brooklyn and at when she was growing up on their in their neighborhood, on their street, they would intermix cultures all the time. And Yiddish was definitely one of the languages that was interwoven between all the other. They had Spanish, they had Yiddish, they had black culture, they had um, all these cultures that intertwined. And with that, language intertwined. Which is so interesting. So one, one of the guests on the show said, what's so interesting about language is it's not just a collection of words, but it's the sensi- sensibility of the language. It's the way that the language is perceived. It's a shared use, a shared perception, and a shared community, and a shared connection of people to each other. And so what's interesting is that you can have a group of people, whether it be a whole country or a small neighborhood, speaking a mixture of different languages, and they all understand each other and can communicate with each other. It's really fascinating. I, I definitely am going to do more um, research on this. So if you... Are a person who grew up in an environment, a very multicultural, multilingual environment, and you mixed languages. I'd like to hear about that too. You know, I see this in my own home with my own children. My children are French and English speaking, and sometimes they will come out with half a sentence in French and half in English or one word in English. And, and what's really interesting is... Our brains, when we speak other languages or we have vocabulary from other languages that is intertwined as part of our linguistic makeup in the brain, our brains will pull the first word that comes to us. So if you have, if you're speaking to someone and you're describing an experience and there's a word that comes to you that describes the experience, and it's not in the language that you're speaking, but it fits the situation better. Your brain will pull that word out, which is really—I um, I, just—I just nerd out all uh, over this all the time. So, um, and I'm currently reading a book called *The Language Instinct: How the Mind Creates Language*. And this book is really, is really cool. I'm actually going to talk about this book in a later podcast, but it's like how children learn language, how the brain computes it, how it mixes with each other, you know, languages mix with each other. Um, And then along those lines, I'm also, after this, I'm going to actually be reading um, a natural history of language, which is uh, called the power of Babel. And I'll be reporting on both of these books because honestly, like language I don't think that we can be purists about language anymore because language is shared by so many diff in so many different ways, by so many different people. and um so anyway, that was that was fascinating. i I only got to listen to about thirty minutes of the hour show on Yiddish just because I was driving my kids to school. but I, I just I really enjoyed that discussion and I really. I really want to do more research on that because I didn't realize um, – in fact, I didn't – I, you know, a lot of people say that Yiddish is a dead language along with like Latin and ancient Greek. And actually, Yiddish is a very much a living language, very much. It's, it's still spoken as a native language by some – you know, I, I don't remember the exact number they, they used, but I want to say it was like 250,000 people around the world. I, I, I don't think that was the exact number, but it, it was, they were saying it's very much a living language and there are people who still speak Yiddish to this day. And it's a Germanic language, which is really interesting. Um, and, I wasn't, I wasn't going to talk about the history of language today. I was going to talk about uh, literacy in the L2. So let me switch to that. And I will definitely get back to speaking about linguistic history and where, how language has evolved and all of that. I'll definitely, definitely uh, come, come back to that in a future podcast when I'm done with my books and stuff. But um, anyway, I want to hear about your experiences with both exclusion, using language to exclude, as well as um, your experience with growing up in a multilingual, multicultural community and how that affected the way that you speak. Please share that with me because I, I, I really would like to hear about that. So without further ado, now let's switch over to literacy and the L2. Let's talk about this. So First of all, um, when we think about literacy in the L1, we don't usually start teaching reading to kids, actually teaching them to read until kindergarten, usually the age of five or six. Some kids learn a little bit earlier, some kids a little bit later, but the average age is about five, six years old. But liter- literacy actually starts a lot earlier. Than that, and the first thing that we do with babies is what we read them books, simple books, picture books. So I have a video of my six-year-old son. He's now six. He just lost a tooth yesterday. He's pretty, uh, pretty pleased with himself on that. Um, anyway, so I have a picture or, or a video of him reading a book. He's about eighteen months old in this video. And he is sitting in a rocking chair, and he is reading a book that we would read pretty much every night at that age. He would always pick that book, and it's called, Does a Kangaroo Have a Mother Too? It's by Eric Carl. And he's sitting there, and he's turning the pages, and he is looking at the book and turning the pages, and he's saying, oh, fox, fox, mother too. Oh, bear, bear, mother too. And he knows the story. He can't read it yet, but he knows how to retell the story. At eighteen months old, it's pretty cute. I'll post it on the uh, on our uh, YouTube channel. He's he he's still a pretty cute kid, and he's a good reader too. But he learned to retell stories because he was read to. And we know that in the native language, when a child is read to, they have higher skills in vocabulary and speech Mm -hmm. than children who are not read to. So literacy is extremely important in the second language as it is in the first it's 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 even it's it it bears the same weight it has the same importance and even if you have 15-year-old teenagers in your classroom who are first year students they're still babies so we need to read baby books to them right we don't read novels to them we shouldn't start them out with You know, post, (laughs) we need to start them out with picture books. And so I have a collection of picture books. I I love buying books. Whenever I'm in France, I buy up as many books as I possibly can. And I have just, you know, very simple picture books. I've got, um, and then I've got more complex story books. And I use those books a lot in class and I use them in a lot of different ways. So the first way that I use books is just read aloud. You know? It, it it's a, it's a huge benefit. I have the students read aloud, listen to me read aloud. I'll just read them a story. And I'll read it to them like I would read it to a 1 or a 2-year-old child. And I read them books like Brown Bear, Brown Bear, or The Hungry Caterpillar, or Good Night Moon, or you know, things that you would read a, a toddler, a preschooler, small child. And then they're just listening. And as they progress through. As they get older, I then progress and start reading aloud novels, and I pick, you know, a little bit longer stories. So, for example, I might read them Harry Potter because Harry Potter they're familiar with. I mean, I don't know, this generation, I don't know, is Harry po- Potter as popular with this generation as it was with the generation of teenagers that I had, you know, 20 years ago when I was teaching um, elementary and High school. I taught elementary, and then I taught high school, and it was like the early. It was like the two thousands. I guess this is so weird that we're in the two thousand twenties. Can you believe that? My gosh! Um, but it was in the two thousands, two thousand to two thousand ten. Um, I taught. I taught in a. And Harry Potter was extremely popular, but I tend to f- try to find books. Um, novel stories that they, that are easy enough for them to understand when they're, it's like right one, one level above their reading level. So when you're reading aloud, it should be just one level above the student's actual reading level in the language, one or two. Um, I tend to read, you know, my kids at home, I tend to read them Um, like we just read a people's history of the United States and my older son was fine. My younger son was like, he was getting bored, but, um, but yeah, one, one above the rule of thumb is one level above their own reading level. So, um, you know, like I said, for first year students, it's going to be picture books, you know, very simple sentences that you're reading to them. Um, and so, reading aloud is, you know, it, it's simply listening for the pleasure of hearing a story. And it's also a lot of really excellent comprehensible input, especially because the students are listening and looking at pictures and as you are reading to them i'm sure you know i make a big production of it anyway but as you're reading to them you're you're reading you know with inflection and excitement and you know making it ex- an exciting story so it's 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 for the pleasure of just basically of just listening to a story I don't know many kids who don't don't like listening to stories, and so reading aloud is 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 an excellent uh, thing to to implement into the classroom. And I do this in a lot of different ways. But when I was in the public school in a in the classroom um, in the two thousands, and when I was a curriculum specialist in the public school, I would always encourage. And I even now um, that I'm running Bon Voyage. You know, I encourage my teachers, take the last five minutes of class. If you're not integrating some kind of read aloud with your lesson, take the last five minutes of class and just read a book. There are so many books that you can find out there that have to do with whatever you're teaching or it doesn't have to do with what you're teaching at all. Honestly, not not everything has to align with what you're studying in class when it comes to reading because and music as well because you want them to just have language. You know, it's always great if you can find a story that fits. But the benefit of just listening to the language and listening to a story in the language and a story that they are able to understand for the most part because you're giving them that comprehensible input and you're and you're you're reading it in a way that they'll understand and they're you're using pictures and clues for understanding and all of that that is priceless seriously so the read aloud is the first thing that um that I I I definitely say mm-hmm. do make time to do it last five minutes of class. I mean, even if you do it just one once a week, definitely make time to do it. The other thing is that I, I advocate for is uh, SSR in the target language. So silent, sustained reading. And this is for students who are not elementary age. I would say do this with your high schoolers um, and your upper level classes. Silent sustained reading in the target language um, is incredibly important, just like it is in the first language. And I would encourage you to put, um, to not make them, you know, do novels or whatever, but just put picture books. Put storybooks that they can read and that they can take context from. So I would, I always am an advocate of 15 minutes of SSR at least once per week. And in our school, because It's hard for us to fit that into our live classes. We always make that as part of the homework. Students um, get a book in the target language and we have a lending library and we have a whole bunch of digital books too because we're an online school that students can borrow and just do that 15 minutes of SSR at home for homework. Um, They don't have to do with the thematic unit, but you know, a lot of times with even in elementary school, like elementary school teachers will pull out Books having to do with you know the season or whatever they're studying or you know, um, you know my my six year old was studying apples and so the teacher you know brought out a whole bunch of books for their reading time that had to do with apples and fall and you know all of that, um, but they don't have to and don't make them too advanced you know, even for third fourth and AP students you want them to be able to enjoy the reading time. So I wouldn't do any more than, you know, third or fourth grade elementary school uh, appropriate books, even for students who are in third or fourth year, um, just because you want them to feel like they can be successful with it and not get bored with it and not give up and and not have their brains shut off. Um, The other thing that I do with SSR is I, I would have, uh, I have a sheet. And when I do this, um, I don't, I encourage my teachers to do this now. Like, as you, as you know, I don't, I don't teach in the classroom anymore, but um, you have a sheet where they can write words and sentences they don't understand. And then we create a picture dictionary. So at the end of the SSR time, I would always have them ask, you know, for me to help explain, you know, if they had a question for me to help explain what it meant, and we would draw a picture of it, and then they would have a picture dictionary that they could refer back to if they needed help understanding a word or an expression or something of that nature. So SSR can be extremely helpful in the L2 classroom, and a lot of times um, I I talk to teachers who, when when I talk about this, they say to me, You know, Elizabeth, I have tried to do this before, but my administrator won't let me do it and doesn't understand the benefit of SSR. And to that, I always respond, that is really sad. That if an administrator knows the benefit of SSR in the first language, then they should definitely understand the benefit of it in in, in a foreign language. And this is something that um, I advocate for. And when I go into schools and, um, you know, I work with administrators and and departments of teachers and, and school districts, I say, listen, you've got language classes, don't. Get on your teachers, your language teachers, for doing things like read alouds and SSRs because that's an important part of language development, and it's it's extremely extremely important. So um, I really encourage you to um, to 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 implement that into your classroom if you can if you can swing it. Um, the next thing that I would like to talk about is um, story listening, and story listening is is a really Uh, it's amazing. I use story listening all the time. It was created by a Japanese teacher. Well, she's an English teacher in Japan named Beniko Mason. And I had the privilege of attending a, a workshop given by her a couple of years ago. And I, I just love how she, how she teaches story listening. Now she, she does it a little bit differently than I do because she will write the words, um, on the, on the board when she's telling the story, um, along with drawing pictures and I only draw pictures. I don't ever write words. Um, but what she does is she, is she takes a story that has to do with, you know, she, she'll just, that's what she does. She just does that for her classroom. That's when she's teaching English. That's, that's all she does. And she's very, um, she's very open about that. She's very open about saying, this is, you know, this is the only way that I teach. This is how I teach. But what I usually do with it um, is I will find a story that has to do with what we're learning In class. So, for example, I use brown bear all the time for colors and animals. So, I teach colors and I teach animals, and we do brown bear. And it's got a great rhythm to it. Because remember, last week we talked about music and rhythm and how it goes into the long term memory. Um, so what I'll do is I tell Brown Bear and we do, I read the story, uh, to the students. I show them the pictures or I draw the story. It just depends on, um, on if I want to use the book or if I want to draw, you know, my drawings, my students always make fun of me for the way that I draw. And when I do my vocabulary episode, I'll talk to you about this. Cause they always laugh at me. They're like, what is that? Madame?" But anyway, um, so I'll either draw the story, or I'll use the book um, itself, and then we do the vocabulary. And I will talk more about how to teach vocabulary in another episode because um, I'm we're running out of time. This episode's going long, but um, but we'll we'll draw the vocabulary. Then we use flashcards and read this to to um, they hold up the flashcard that matches what they hear in the story. And um, this is a great amount. It's, it's, it's just loads and loads and loads of comprehensible input. You can adapt stories for different levels, um, you know, and it's a lot of interpretation of story. And, and the other thing about it is you can ask the students at the end to retell the story and a lot of, in their native language. And a lot of times people will be like, well, isn't that translation? Aren't you anti translation? Yes, I am anti translation. However, retell is not the same as translation. They're not doing it word for word. They're retelling you the story and they're showing that they understood, which is great. So, with things like Brown Bear, which is like a really low level story that I would do for like r- at the very beginning, but it's got a nice rhythm and I'll have the students do a clap snap with me or we'll do um gestures to represent the uh the, the animals so it would be like moi ce que tu vois je vois un oiseau rouge qui regarde par ici. brown bear brown bear what do you see i see a red bird looking at me red bird red bird what do you see I see a yellow duck looking at me. I have it all memorized both in English and in French um, just because I've taught it so many times. But it's rhythm. And they remember that. And then we go back. and And I actually have them create their own version of it at the end. So you can even put that piece in there where it's a project-based, performance-based assessment. So they can do it um, if they're writing by that time, you can have them write it. Or I, what I like better is I have them do their own animals. So they might be like, uh, um, gray goat, gray goat. What do you see? I see a red duck looking at me or a red dog looking at me or whatever, but they make it up and, and they love it. They actually, they absolutely love to be able to put those pieces together in a different way and be creative with them. So that's a really, that's really fun. Um, a fun way that I use story listening in class. Um, and then lastly is book studies. So we have a lot of book studies um, that we do at Bon Voyage. One of them is The Little Prince. And I I love book studies personally. Um, I've done L'Etranger. I've got Harry Potter. Um, but we do things, and you can do book studies with things like Babar and Madeleine. I've written book studies for, for, for picture books as well. And it's really great because they're simple stories. or um, you know, that progress and I create activities that help the student interact with the book. Like little Prince is more of a fourth year book, but, um, there's an activity in there where they write there because parables, um, little Prince is written in parables. Each, each part of the book is a parable. And so I have the students write their own parables um, in the book. And then, you know, things that that help them um, just interact. We watch the movie, compare, contrast, cook a recipe, um, read another book from the same author, open-ended discussions and reflections in the more advanced levels. There is um, There are poems that you can use, Um there's Café du Matin for, by Jacques, uh, I think it's Jacques Prévert, is it? No, Jacques Prévert, there's Il pleure dans mon coeur by Paul Verlin. Il pleure dans mon coeur comme il pleut sur la ville. Quelle est cette longueur? Qui peut naître mon cœur? I don't know if I even got that right, but I mean, there's lots of ways to use books and poems and all sorts of things like that in a, in a study site type situation where you do more in depth with those. Um, the other thing that I like to do with my classes is graded readers. You know, a lot of times you do graded readers with kids who are in, um, you know, first, second, third grade, you have them reading graded readers. Well, there are graded readers for um the foreign language as well and there are magazine subscriptions that you can get i used to get um a magazine subscription from france for um you know i'd get it every month and the kids would could read that but um the graded readers my my favorite one i don't know um for any other language besides french i'm actually in the process of researching um graded readers in other languages besides french right now for my school uh, as a, as a purchase, um, curriculum purchase, uh, for, I'm looking for specifically, I've got Arabic now. Um, I'm looking specifically for Spanish, German, and Japanese. So if anybody has, um, any leads for me on that, I would love to hear from you, but, um, Anyway, so we we graded le- uh, readers that I love are en Francais Facile, which is from Hachette. Um, and what's really cool about these graded readers is that the students, they come with audio as well. Um, so that you can both uh, listen to the story being read while you read along, or you can read it yourself. Um, I don't really believe in a student reading aloud for pronunciation purposes. I don't, I, I just don't. Um, for fluency maybe, but um, anytime I'm teaching students to read in French, I always put it to a language, or sorry, to a rhythm. Anytime I teach students to read aloud for fluency, it's put to a rhythm. And and any other, there's no other reason to have the student read aloud other than for fluency. Um, You know, pronunciation is hard when you're reading it. Um, and so we want the students to have the pronunciation down pat first before they even see the word. And then we work on fluency and it's always put to a rhythm. So it's really interesting because these books come with audio so they can hear the cadence and the rhythm of the what's being read um, to them as they read along or they can read silently to themselves. Um, but like I said, having them read aloud anything other than, um, than fluency. I just, I just don't do that's just not my, um, I, I, I don't believe that there's any real, real value in that. So anyway, um, that is what I've got for you today. I may have some more thoughts on this next week, but um, please do uh, call call in or um, sign in and, and leave me a recording or a message about um, your experiences. I would love to hear more. If you know of any graded readers and and in in other languages, um, even if it's not the ones I talked about, I would really love to hear from you. And because I love graded readers for for. Um, for reading uh, in the target language and, and, and literacy. So anyway, thank you very much, everyone. Merci beaucoup. Chéché. Gra- gratier. gracias. Uh, as you can see, I have a very nice French accent when I speak those other languages. Have a wonderful week. And I will see you next week uh, for our episode on language history and some other things. <laughs> have a great week. Bye-bye.